0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Kent Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself... Craig Stout and Matt Lane all get together to talk about last week's game. Look ahead to next week's opponents. And uh, we've got a lot to cover today. Um, We got to see Dorian O'Daniel play a little bit. Um, Kareem Hunt had an absolutely fantastic game. Um, And and we're going to answer a lot of your questions too. We try to get as many in as we possibly can every single week. Uh, Last week I think we did over 20 and we have another Uh, We have over 20 again that we're gonna cover and try to get through as many as we possibly can. Um, First off, we gotta talk about the kid, though. We start every week with Patrick Mahomes discussion, and we're not gonna do anything different this week. Um, Last week, the 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 Bengals game wasn't um, a game where you come away just with a million different flashy plays that you see. You know, oh, the arm talents on display here, 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 and here. Like it wasn't quite that kind of performance. But equally as impressive because um, I saw a lot of growth and poise and control from Mahomes. It's it's really easy to just get impatient and want to just take you know every big opportunity you possibly can. But I thought the Bengals did a pretty good job of taking away some of the vertical stretches that the Chiefs were trying to hit, and Mahomes didn't bite. He worked down and was quick and decisive to get the ball out to Kareem Hunt and uh and and was really controlled throughout the game. um I liked what he was doing from the pocket. I thought he was controlled there. I thought he he stayed very calm uh, a couple of the plays that he had, you know, he stepped up into the pocket, found uh an underneath route um it just really, really good stuff and was moving the chains extremely efficiently. you know um I think there there's a lot of value in that. It's not always gonna be. Uh, an opportunity for Mahomes to just flash the gun and do some of these rare abilities. And don't get me wrong. There were plenty of those kind of plays still, but not to the same level of difficulty that we're always seeing and and not as as voluminous as it normally is. There were still moments where he was really, really good and doing some special things that only a few people can do. But this week was more about being um, a consistent chain mover. And he did that exceptionally. You, know, you think about the Pats game, the second half of the Pats game, Mahomes completed nine passes and four of them went for touchdowns, and there's explosive plays all over the field. This week, you know, you weren't seeing big, a ton of big shots down the field. There was a couple um, and and, and some, stole, some explosive plays, but it was just how he did it. Uh, I came away very impressed, and it's just another box that he checks off where, you know, there's there's not very many holes that we're really getting exposed right now. Every asset or every facet of the game, you, you feel pretty confident in what the kid is doing to this point. And, um, and it, it's, it's really, it's awesome to see, you know, you're seeing incremental improvements across the board and he's showing some, some almost veteran like, um, abilities too. I think, you know, so like one of the plays that we wrote about on Wednesday, th- this pod goes up on Wednesday. So it's probably up. um, I think it was the last drive of the first half for the Chiefs and the Bengals are in two man they're running a vertical concept and the the quarterback's a threat to run against two man because all the defenders underneath their eyes are not on the quarterback they're in man coverage and so Mahomes saw that took advantage of it, ran for a first down, I think got over 20 yards on the run, and was smart enough because it was a a, a late-minute late situation, got out of bounds. He realized, okay, I can get out of bounds here. I can stop the clock. I can save a timeout. Um, just an outstanding job by him. So little things like that, we're starting to see that too. So, I mean, there's there's so much to get excited about. One thing you can, you probably don't want to be excited about, our quarterback can't dance. And uh, I had a little fun this week on Tuesday talking about um, our our franchise quarterbacks' inability to dance. If you look and watch, uh, every they, they had a choreographed dance between like eight or nine Chiefs players, and Patrick tried to jump in and is just like a step behind everyone. It it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, I the, he's good at a lot of things. I think we finally found something that he's not good at. Um, and, uh, I really, I kind of hope we get another opportunity for him to try to prove himself again. And I kind of hope he fails again. I think it'd be funny if that's just the only flaw that we can pick out is our quarterback can't dance. Um, but we're going to bring Matt here, Matt Lane on here in a second. We're going to talk about Kareem hunts. Um, uh, we'll talk a little bit about maybe some tweaks that the Broncos can make, Uh, or some things that they had success with in the first uh, game that they played, see if there's some things that they're going to try to replicate. Then we'll bring Craig on, and then, like I said, big nerd squad mailbag to end the show as always. Time to bring Maddie Lane on. Hey, buddy, thanks for putting down your chocolate and peanut butter snack to, to jump on the lab with us.
0: You are welcome. I know food is not allowed down in the lab, so I was trying to make sure to finish it off beforehand.
1: Yeah, no, that I really appreciate you just you honoring the code and definitely not slowing this process down at all.
0: And I am um, sure you enjoyed hearing me not eat it
1: into the I, <laughs> Oh, absolutely, definitely not. Um Maddie, you wrote a killer piece on Kareem Hunt, probably long overdue. He's been playing pretty well as of late um what was the best thing that you saw from kareem hunt this week
0: Uh, the best thing about kareem hunt is always just his ability to stay on his feet through contact i mean i called it contact balance in the piece and that's definitely the right way to put it but just more than that how he's able to deliver a big hit to a defender and just keep his feet moving like he never seems to get off balance he may never be the fastest guy on the field, but he can run through an arm tackle or through a little bit of contact and not even really have to slow down as well as break the tackle. So, just it was amazing to watch him stay on his feet, his field awareness. He just had everything that Kareem Hunt does well. He was doing even better in this game.
1: My favorite thing about this week with him. Was was his work in the passing game? Pat was able to find him, work down to him at the right time, and 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 Kareem definitely converted.
0: Yeah, he was. They were doing exactly what I kind of thought they would do after seeing the Bengals' defense, which is just a slow reacting, not super athletic middle of the field defense. They were finding Hunt and even wear a little bit underneath, and just letting them get in space against those linebackers, and it paid dividends. I mean, we saw Vontae's perfect leave with a broken ego. I think they're calling it like a shoulder or something, <laughs> but I definitely think it was his ego.
1: Yeah, he was he was low key crying like Derek Carr underneath his helmet. I those I, were I saw tears. It. Facts.
0: Derek Carr hey. said those were not tears. <laughs> um. So another thing I was
1: gonna ask you, so Vance Joseph comes out and says that Kareem Hunt, that the offense runs through Kareem Hunt uh, here in Kansas City. What do you think about that statement?
0: I'm not sure what kind of mind game Vance Joseph is playing right now. I don't know if he's trying to get Pat <laughs> amped up, hoping he comes out slinging the ball five feet over receivers' heads. I don't know if he's just trying to show Kareem Hunt a little bit of uh, like extra attention and praise so that he's not maybe not as juiced. It seems like Kareem Hunt's been a little extra juiced these last two games. Like He's getting a little animated after he has these big, long, tough runs. So maybe he's trying to calm that down. I'm not sure what his plan is with that, but that is certainly not the case, as we all know. Hunt's a great player, and was talking about a little bit when I was on the radio just a little bit ago. Hunt still may be the fourth most dangerous slash talented player on this Kansas City Chiefs offense, and he's amazing, and he can win a game by himself, but there's just so many other pieces. The offense definitely runs through Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's game.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I, I was kind of taken aback by that comment, um, but it is fun to see the like the games where Hunt gets his though, and like this week was definitely one of them. I really enjoyed it, and there's going to be big moments down the road, especially as the weather changes, that they're going to need him. Um, so, Maddie, uh, you sent me an email question. Someone sent directly to you, and I thought we had to read it because. I mean the fact that someone emailed you specifically, I thought that was awesome. Uh, at or Tile Artisan asks, I think a NFL D back should be expected to know when to look back while in coverage, especially on long vertical throws. That's why I think Lucas is so good. I hope they keep him as a starter. Uh, thank you again for your time. I love the job you guys are doing. What's your What's your thoughts on that, Maddie?
0: So I kind of buried the question a little bit when I sent this to you, so that's on me for poor podcast management. But essentially, the question is just about why the Chiefs' defensive backs, specifically cornerbacks, don't seem to play the ball particularly well in the air. And, I mean, it's something that I think everybody's kind of noticed. Nelson's missed a few picks in his career and has one that was off of a tip drill this year. Skandrick seems to play more of the man than the ball, and Fuller looks like I have a little bit of struggles when he's kind of turning over his shoulder to play the ball. And essentially it's just a different style of play. Some cornerbacks play better facing the quarterback, being able to read the ball and the receiver at the same time. Some guys play the ball great when they're in phase or trailing a receiver, looking over their shoulder, and other guys just simply play the receiver the whole time. And that's what they feel comfortable with. That's when they feel like they're in the best position. And it seems like that's kind of the way the Chiefs cornerbacks are this year. I mean, you can tell me what you think. I kind of answered the question a little bit to him, but you can go and tell me what you think about the Chiefs cornerbacks and how they're playing the ball.
1: No, I think that's fair. I think that's I think that's a pretty fair representation of it. Um, so no, that was it was just cool. I was I'm glad we uh, were able to answer. It. If anybody wants to email us questions, feel free to. I think our our email addresses are on Arrowhead Pride site. Um, Maddie, I wanted just a quick uh, kind of explanation of anything that you think the Broncos might try to repeat on defense. Against Patrick Mahomes, uh, this coming week.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of the same kind of defensive front stuff that they were doing and that New England did, where you have a bunch of guys just kind of scattered and standing up along the line of scrimmage, just get the Chiefs guessing, especially Pat, who's coming, who's dropping, play a little bit more of that contain. Von Miller looks like he's picked up his play a little bit since that game, so I do expect him to have a little bit more success against Mitchell Schwartz, although Schwartz usually has his number. And one thing that does have me a little worried is the Broncos bringing pressure up the middle with whatever the Chiefs might have to run out there at, on the interior if Morse isn't able to go. But for the most part, it's going to be more of the same that the Chiefs saw from the Patriots and then the Broncos before, just a lot of different looks up front.
1: And... Time to talk to Craig Stouts, defensive analyst for Arrowhead Pride. Uh, Craig, I'm glad you finally got to catch up and watch the game.
2: Yeah, it was awesome. Apparently, I should book my Sunday nights with busy things for the rest of the season just so the Chiefs play like that. That was
1: incredible. How was the, how was the Modest mouth show?
2: Oh, it was fantastic. It was phenomenal. I could gush about it for a long, long time. But this is a football show. We don't need to talk about that. It was was just great.
1: Can you gush as much about the defense this week specifically as you can uh, the popular 2000s band?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes, definitely. And they started in 1997.
1: Anyway. Okay. the The fact that you know that. Well, okay. I guess it kind of makes sense because... That was the year that you turned forty. So yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now you're right. You're right. That's a landmark. It makes sense now. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, so yeah, the defense had a phenomenal performance, best of the year. Why? <laughs> Why?
2: Uh, Bob threw the Bengals for a loop. If we have to pick out one specific thing, Bob ran a lot of cover two man or cover five, however you want to call it at about 24% of the time this week. His season average prior to this was 7%. They didn't lean on split safety looks except in third and long situations. And this week they leaned on him on early downs. They had the corners bail, AJ Green talked about it. It confused them. Normally when the Chiefs bail with their corners, they're bailing to a deep cover 3 zone. And this week, they would faint the bail and then close in man coverage against the corners. So Andy Dalton was reading the corners a little bit and having to adjust on the fly. And the receivers were having to change the routes. And option routes weren't exactly what they were seeing. It really threw them for a loop. So Bob was great this week after a really poor New England game. And then the defense just as a whole tackled better they they worked as a unit a lot better coverage responsibilities were better everything was just better it, it was good to be home and it was good to play a team like that
1: speaking of better do you know who is better in coverage than anthony hitchens and reggie ragland me <laughs> well yeah you too but uh we saw dorian o'daniel finally
2: Yes, we did. And that's the other thing that uh, Bob put together this week. Dorian O'Daniel was in the game in the Chiefs' dime package. They specifically put him there as the lone off-ball linebacker, replacing Anthony Hitchens and Reggie Ragland with Eric Murray and Dorian O'Daniel there in the center of the field as hook defenders. And... Dorian O'Daniel was in man coverage against the tight end on all of these plays, usually second and third and long, although they did run some early down dime later in the game to try and get him some more looks. He looked phenomenal getting to the edge, using his speed, you know, defending stretch plays, defending screen passes. It was really good. So... I think that they're going to use him more. They're going to lean on the dime a little more, especially as the chief safeties get healthy here. We're going to see more Dorian O'Daniel. And then now with Terrence Smith out, he'll probably get a little bit of run in the nickel, but he didn't look great defending interior runs. He doesn't look great in zone. So I think it is a situation where they're going to use him just in the dime and just in man coverage.
1: So why have we not seen him earlier?
2: I It I, confounds me because what they asked him to do this week wasn't anything super complex out of the dime. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if they were just giving Anthony Hitchens six weeks to try and Develop and get better with his understanding, and and maybe get a little faster. Maybe that you know Hammy's still bugging him a little bit. I'm not sure what the deal was, but it really seemed this week like Bob said, "Well, okay, it's time to get the kid in there." Now the the caveat to him being on the field like that, you're not going to run a zone coverage with him. So when he steps on the field, the offense knows that yeah. they're going to be in man. Right, it, it, it tips the hand. Of the defensive coordinator by him being on the field now he's definitely good when he's on the field but it does give you a little bit of a schematic disadvantage in
1: that frame uh, that's a very good point so if he's going to continue to get more run they might have to mix some things up that's something to keep an eye on for sure um okay uh craigree we got beer questions because yes! y- you clamored for them last week and our guy at keith mclean 78 asks Can you explain what an IPA is? Let's start with there. Let's just start with that question. Explain to us what an IPA is.
2: We'll we'll hit these quick because I can talk beer at length. An IPA is an India Pale Ale. It is an aggressively hopped, usually higher ABV beer than like a Pale Ale. They used to make them. They they used to aggressively hop English Pale Ales and actually ship them on ships to India hence the name India Pale Ale.
1: Oh, I, that was interesting. I was actually going to ask why they asked about why they called him India. Uh, okay, what's the difference between an ale and a lager?
2: It is all yeast. Lager yeast is bottom fermenting. It is fermented at a lower temperature than ale yeast. Uh, the lager yeast is typically under 60 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, whereas an ale yeast typically ferments a little bit higher. There are obvious, you know, mix and blends and stuff like that. But lagers tend to be your pilsners, your uh, Oktoberfests, you know, things like that. Ales are the other. It, it's it's simply a yeast.
1: Okay. I I that makes perfect sense kind of Uh, what's what makes the what's the difference between a pale and an amber
2: Uh, pale and an amber would be SRM which is color uh that's the darkness of the beer Uh, you use different malts to gain darkness and impart different sweetnesses and things like that pale ales tend to have a different or a higher ibu a little higher hop and ambers tend to be milder with some sweeter malts and a very low hop content
1: uh very good stuff what's the cover one of beers this is just me asking the
2: cover one of beers. You're throwing me for a loop. So it would be, for the Chiefs defense, it would be the go-to beer on any given play. So Dale's Pale Ale.
1: Look at that. Look at that. Great job, Craig. Okay, we had one more question. We had a, another beer question. Uh, Brady Stewart emailed us, emailed you specifically, Craig. Uh, barley wine or imperial stouts my handle my ap handle is Kau tribe as i am one of a select few on this beautiful island in the pacific that proudly wears the red and gold although i think uh that may change in the upcoming mahomes afc championship area i love your show brother keep up the great work that's the coolest email ever uh let's answer his question brady thanks for listening to the show let's answer his question for sure
2: yeah big props brady Uh, this one's a tough one because when it's during spring and summer, I'm not feeling stout so much, so I tend to be more of a barley wine guy, but there are some barley wines that are a little too sweet for me. I like a little more aggressively hopped barley wine. I realize that's not necessarily per style, but I do like a little more aggressively hopped barley wine. Meanwhile, right now, I am going stout every time. Imperial stout. Give me a meal and a bottle. That's what I want right now.
1: Great stuff. Brady, thank you so much for listening, man. Uh, really cool that you know, you're know you repping the Chiefs out there. Uh, one quick question. Give me a quick answer. Something the Broncos will try to repeat on offense, Gregory.
2: I, they better hope the Chiefs tackle about as poorly as they did last time. <laughs> the, that was the downfall of their last matchup. The Chiefs couldn't tackle to save their life, and they targeted – Ron Parker, this is pre Jordan Lucas, this is pre Dorian O'Daniel and the dime. The Chiefs ran a lot of dime last time. I think that the Chiefs actually have a much better matchup this time. They've sorted this up themselves out a little bit. If the Chiefs tackle, this game's not close.
1: The Chiefs are riding the Lucas locomotive all the way to defensive domination. That's barley hop, Craig Stout. Let's bring Maddie on and do a little uh, mailbag here reunited and it feels so good to be back with the rest of the nerd squad fellas we got a lot to cover i added every question under the sun i tried to get to as many as we possibly could today let's jump right in at chief boy rdg if the trade values are similar Would you rather trade for Landon Collins or Patrick Peterson? Or would you just ride this out, keep your picks, and see if the defense can build on what we saw this week?
0: I mean, for me, it just depends on what you're giving up. And It's been the hot topic all day in the last two days here. So essentially what you're looking at is all I care about is going into the draft next year. I want to have the flexibility to be able to move around wherever I want to, which includes up in the draft. Uh, The draft class is great for edge and interior defensive linemen, and I think the Chiefs are going to need major help at both of those. So if the Chiefs get rid of their first-round pick this year and a second or their first next year, they're just limiting themselves so much in the ability to move up, and you're going to be stuck with the last guy on the list that just happens to fall for whatever reason to get. So I'm not down for that. If the trade value for both Landon Collins or Patrick Peterson is the same and it still allows me to be flexible on what I'm doing in the draft, then I'm going to take Patrick Peterson at this point in time. I think I've seen enough from Jordan Lucas and Dan Sorensen maybe coming back soon. Still have hope for Eric Berry that I think will be okay at safety, so I would take the player at a slightly bigger position of need now.
2: Yeah, I'm with that. If you would have asked me three, four weeks ago, I would have been all over Landon Collins instead of Patrick Peterson. While I do think that the Chiefs' corners are one of the few okay spots that they have on the defense, with Barry and Dan Sorensen coming back and Landon. Landon, I about did it too, Kent. Jordan Lucas (laughs) uh, on the back end. (laughs) Choo-choo. Choo-choo. I think that they are pretty set back there even though I think that Landon Collins is an amazing player I think Patrick Peterson for under market value would be great
1: yeah I I think uh I'll just jump into the next question just because it kind of ties with this and I'll just answer first uh at Larry McCammon asks Patrick Peterson has asked for a trade in an offer of the Chiefs 2019 first round selection uh is that too much for the 28-year-old All-Pro? Um, you know, I think that is a little too rich for me personally. Uh, I think if like if you threw in like this, this doesn't even make a ton of schematic sense. But if you were gonna throw like Hassan Reddick in there, and I get three and a half years of a talent to, to kind of figure out how to use and Patrick Peterson for two and a half years, uh, I might think about that. But just stand alone on his own, I'm not really interested in giving a first up for pat p
0: yeah i'm with you i think the first round pick of this year is it's it's close to the border but i think it's a little more than i want to give up because like i said i think that takes away your flexibility to move up 10 spots in the draft from where we are to get your choice of the third or fourth best edge or interior defense alignment in this class and i just said i want that flexibility based on what this class looks like so next year's first round, sure, but this year's first round pick, I don't think I could pull that trigger.
2: Yeah, and the the thing that really kind of swings in the balance here, if they had hit on Tano Passigno or Breland Speaks, that makes this a lot easier to swallow for me. Like I think that they need another pass rusher because they're going to lose either D Ford or Justin Houston this off season. And we'll see who they decide to choose. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see, but (laughs) I think that they've got to have another guy over there, and then they're also losing Alan Bailey probably this this season too, so they need another interior defensive lineman. I think the past misses have made it hard to trade away a first-round pick this year. Again, next year, I think I'm more fine with it because I think you can get an edge this year and go forward and hopefully build the defense up and still have him on the roster
1: and to be fair I kind of think Brett Veach wants that first round pick too I think he wants to hold that asset because it makes his job a lot easier to be more maneuverable so I do give Matt like kind of a you know, that's a good point for Maddie. at KC John KC do they shift Irving to center now that Devi is on the IR or is Morse returning so let's just let's just say Morse doesn't return this week let's just answer it like that Morse doesn't return this week is Cameron Irving your center Maddie?
0: Whew, that's a tricky one. I think if Irving is in the plans to be sent the center next year, if they decide to move on from Morse, then yes, you sit- shift Irving over to center and you play Wiley and Allen around him. If they have no interest in moving Irving to center like full time, if he's a starting guard in their eyes and will always be that, then don't move him and make everybody play next to someone new. That's the scary thing if you move irving to center every single person on the offensive line is playing next to a new player and that's kind of a rough ask for a whole offensive line unit
2: yeah but the counter argument to that is that you want a guy that pat is at least somewhat familiar with taking snaps behind cam irving got to play a little bit of center during the preseason he's at least gotten snaps with pat if you don't then then who who is the guy that's really getting snaps to pat it's a guy that hasn't really worked with him very much so i, I think they might go with cam irving even though he's been very good at left guard and that uh, that's, that seems to be the spot that they want to play him in
1: yeah i think it's kind of piecemeal either way um adding you know adding having irving play with it you know he had all of otas to do it that makes a lot of sense to me, but I mean, they're in, they're in a weird spot either way. This is a very weird time for the interior offensive line of the Chiefs. At Cameron Corwin asks, should the Chiefs get Mohamed Sanu in a trade as their third wide receiver? I am not spinning a single asset on the offensive side of the ball for this stretch run. Mohamed Sanu still got two years left on his deal. That just does not make sense to me as something that they should be looking at moving forward.
2: The only piece that they could add to the offense at this point is interior offensive line and me be okay with it. So that's a no.
0: Yeah, definite notice no to no. no.
1: At Mr. C. David, if you were a betting man, how does this season end for the Chiefs? Man, I'm trying to i I'm trying to battle my my internal Chiefs fan. Um I think if I was betting, I'd say they I think they I think they might wind up in the AFC championship game. If you were going to ask me to bet, that's probably be, that would probably be where I, I stopped this year just because, you know, this is still a, a roster developing. Um, this is Pat's first exposure to it, but I think he announces his arrival as the guy to, to be in their consideration every single year. He's going to put this team in a position to do this a lot.
0: I'm going to say losing the Super Bowl. Gonna get have us getting that revenge on the Patriots in the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl. I think, as the team stands right now, I just think the Rams are a little bit better today, or even the Saints. I just have a hard time seeing how the Chiefs are gonna stop them enough. Whereas, if I'm looking at it from their side, I think I just see a few more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball and the same kind of offensive firepower.
2: Oh, I'm going full Homer Super Bowl this year. They win two home playoff games to get there, and they win the whole damn
0: thing? If I get the field, how much money are we betting, Craig? Ugh, no. No, no, no. no, no, no.
1: (laughs) He said Homer, not rational. Uh, Right. (laughs) (laughs) But this is technically betting man, so, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, At Juan Silvera P asks, is Dorian O'Daniel the next big thing?
2: Uh, We'll see about the next big thing. As I said earlier, he's still struggling to sort of uh, identify and read gaps on interior runs. He's even more hesitant than Anthony Hitchens and Reggie Ragland, and that's really hard to do this year. He's still learning the game from that standpoint as an inside linebacker. And then, like I said earlier as well, zone coverage has not been a forte of his that we've seen in Bob Sutton's scheme this year. I still think he needs a lot more work and time on the field, but the good news is is that Bob's going to give it to him.
0: Oh, it's my turn to be a homer. Yes, Dorian Daniels the next big thing. It depends on how you're going to define the next big thing. I don't think he's ever going to be situated to be this every down stud linebacker. He's definitely going to be your weak side linebacker behind other good linebackers just chasing plays, or he's going to come in for nickel and dime situations. But I think he can be very good in those situations as he continues to learn the defense and kind of get his bearings straight for the pro level of football.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's kind of in a narrow role right now. I am just excited that they're getting something out of him this year. Um, we, we, we need, the Chiefs need some help in that specific role. So hopefully it can expand as he continues to develop. But um, I do like the fact that he's getting on the field and getting some opportunities and he's playing well. Uh, at Kyle Sterling 10 asks, how did uh, the Lucas Locomotive play? Uh, didn't catch much of him when watching live.
2: Another week, another pretty good performance for him. I, I, I think there's been a little bit of diminishing returns over the past two and a half games, but he's still head and shoulders the best safety that the Chiefs have. He took some good angles again this week. He had a pass interference that, that he got in the face of C.J. Uzuma afterwards, and I, I'm fine with that level of energy. He covered A.J. Green on the goal line on the second down incompletion completion that uh, Andy Dalton threw. He, he, was, he was pretty good this week still uh, and just needs to continue to start. He's the best safety they've got on the field right now.
0: Yeah, this was, I would say, I guess his worst game that he's played so far, at least from what I saw, but it definitely wasn't bad by any means. He gave up the touchdown. Like Craig said, he had the one pass interference call and I think he gave up another catch in there, but for the most part, he was still playing pretty tight coverage. And he was given decently hard assignments, getting A.J. Green and man coverage in the slot a couple times or a big tight end down in the red zone. So I have no real complaints about it. He definitely looks like he's the best safety the Chiefs have out there, and he still plays just much faster than everyone else. I still like him a little bit better when he's the deep safety in a single high formation rather than a man coverage. I know he's capable of dropping down and taking a running back or a tight end, but I think he just looks so much more fluid than anybody else we've trotted out there on the back end.
1: I think we're starting to see it's clear that they trust him, and they're trusting him more and more, though. So that's a good sign. I think he's going to continue to get opportunities. At Burt Meister KC, do uh, do uh, do you think the defensive performance before last week was a lack of talent or a lack of chemistry. I
2: I don't think it's a lack of talent necessarily. I do think that there are some chemistry issues. I I don't know that the Chiefs are an untalented defense. I, I hate to say that because when I look at that team on paper, I feel like outside of a very banged up safety position and you know banged up outside linebacker I feel like this team is still very talented. So if I had to pick one of the two, it would it would definitely be chemistry.
0: Yeah, and I don't think lack of talent is necessarily the right word. I do, however, think that the Chiefs' talent level on their defense was probably a little had too high expectations from fans for the team to fill. Anthony Hitchens, Reggie Ragland, and I'm at fault for some of this too. I just, everybody got super hyped up for these guys kind of expecting another big step and this just to be a completely new team and it maybe it's, it is a chemistry thing and they're just not ready to be that yet, but it just doesn't seem like they're quite living up to what fans had expectations for and it could just be in general that they're very good players rather than great players, which isn't a bad thing, it just could be who they are.
1: Yeah, I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what they have, to, and I think just the pieces don't look like they always fit. I think they're starting to figure that a little bit more out as time goes along. Uh, at Ned Ewing 77 asks, watching Pat dictate to the sideline that calls be delivered faster, watching him go to the checkdowns, stop and say we're good, uh, and watching him try to beat the challenge uh, with the snap after the Watkins drop makes me think that this is Pat's team. Um... Has he has he been given the keys? Uh, I, I think so. And I think you're slowly seeing week over week this team become Patrick Mahome's team. And I think the Jaguars game, there's seeming to kind of be a, a flip switched or switch flipped. Uh, where you know the energy around the team is kind of in a realization like that this kid's for real. this kid can take us everywhere we want, and we need to play as such. So I do think that there's some truth to that
2: yeah I think that's probably the most impressive thing from from this weekend for me is watching him command the line the way that he did it it he's commanding it and he's changing things and he's acting like he's out there like a ten year veteran and this is his second year in the league and first year starting so it, it really was impressive they they've definitely given him the full keys to the car and boy it's helmet <laughs>
0: Yeah, he has all of the trust of Andy Reid, but if he has the keys, Andy Reid definitely has that driver's teacher's extra wheel and gas and brake pedal (laughs) sitting there in the passenger seat. Like I think Pat can go out there and do just about anything he wants to, and if it works or if he comes to the sideline and Reid asks him about it, if he has a good explanation, I feel like Reid trusts him enough to let him do that, but... If you ever get to the point to where he's just kind of like, oh, I thought it was open was kind of all of his explanation or something like that. I do think Reed would start to dial it back and Reed's just never going to give up full control, but he does trust him 100%. Yeah.
2: If and it, he's got oh. a pedal in the, in the side of that car, it's only a gas pedal, right?
0: Now. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Playing yeah. deep into the fourth quarter.
1: But I do think you can see the confidence of Mahomes to do all that stuff. And I think that's partially just because he's been given... It does feel like the whole organization has given him some levels of ownership. And it's really exciting to see. Um, At Polish Chiefs fan, if I'm not mistaken, the Chiefs won the toss, deferred and forced a three and out at least six times out of seven. Maybe seven of seven. Uh, The first plays are supposed to be scripted, get the offense rolling ones. How do they do that?
2: Uh, They they always do it, and it is 7 out of 7 this year. Andy Reid always defers because Andy Reid loves the quick hitter like we saw this week. You score right before half, you come back, you get the ball back, you score again. The offense can't do anything to stop you. You can hang multiple scores on them, and uh, the way they do that is clearly Andy Reid has a loaded coin that he feeds to the umpires (laughs) before every game.
0: So I think the bigger question that we're looking at here is what is the defense doing differently in the beginning of a game that's forcing these quick three and outs? And I mean, really, it's been different each and every week, but it just almost seems like that they're able to force a third and medium or long on this first drive. Maybe it's teams being predictable from the get-go and just trying, you know, the typical run or shot play without much in between. It seems like teams haven't got good drive starters against the Chiefs from the get-go or something right now. So that's been the biggest difference is the defense has been able to come out and play comfortable and play in a plus situation for them to get the ball back to the offense and let them get into rhythm.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to give Bob Sutton some credit too. I mean it seems like he's got him in the right calls in those situations. So um, it does you know they've, they've gotten hot early. They've, they've started well and then things have not always gone so great after that. Uh, at Peter Y Golf follow up to a couple weeks ago if you are uh if you were a potato how upset would you be that people compare the prime time bangles to you i i don't even know where to go with this i'm i'm lost
2: i i believe last time i said that uh if i was a potato i'd be vodka so clearly i wouldn't care what anybody said <laughs> that's amazing i don't
0: I don't remember my answer for what kind of potato I would be, but whatever I was, I'm gonna definitely think that I was probably so upset, like when you burn a breakfast hash brown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't I don't even know where to go with it. Like I'm just lost. I think it's it's a tough question. Um, so I'm gonna just move on to the next one. <laughs> at uh, Chase five five six five. Who are your top three draft crushes for the Chiefs? Oh no, forgot to delete this one. Forgot to delete this one, Maddie.
0: So is this like top three draft crushes at every position that I've watched them so
1: oh, far? No. Oh no, this is oh. my fear. This is my nightmare. I wanna see my kids, my kid.
0: <laughs> Wait a second, is there big news being announced no. on the pod right no. now?
1: There's not. Okay all right we'll
0: stick to three for this week but i'm telling you guys bring more draft questions we have longer answers you guys (laughs) ask them kent has to let me talk about them that's the way this works so number one been probably my draft crush for since midway through last year and it's not really fair because i'm sure it's a lot of people's but ed oliver defensive tackle houston undersized super quick He's kind of a tweener right now, but he does directly play on the inside of an interior defensive line. He understands leverage super well, so his size isn't as big of a deal to me as it's going to be, I think, to the NFL. I still expect him to go in the top half of the first round, but Ed Oliver is an absolute stud. I have no qualms with saying he might not be quite as good, but I still have no problems comparing him to Aaron Donald at any given time. Next is Deontay Thompson, safety from Alabama. He's a little bit of a blend of Malik Hooker and Derwin James. Crazy, I know. He's not quite as good as either one of them at their best thing, so he's not quite as good of a center fielder as Malik Hooker Has a little bit less range. Maybe plays the ball a tiny bit worse, and he's not quite as big and physical as Derwin James, but he still can play in the box better than Malik Hooker could, so he's just a perfect mix of these two of the best safeties that I've seen come out lately. And then finally, this is the newest additions, Ja'Kai Polite, edge rusher out of Florida. He reminds me a little bit of D Ford at Auburn, and he just has a crazy fast first step. But unlike D Ford, he's definitely thicker already. Now, he did lose weight this year, so he's probably playing at about 245, 250, but it's a solid 245, 250. And he's got a great bend already around the edge to go with that first step. And he's got counters on top of counters for it already. Like, he's a nuanced pass rusher for a guy that seems to have really just jumped on the big screen this year.
2: Well, after that, <laughs> now, uh, my, my three guys, Deontay Thompson is one, of, is one of my three as well. I love his game. I think that he makes the Chiefs a much, much better team. He can do a little bit of everything, like Matt said, great blend of it. So, I'm fully on board with him. Uh, I also, one of my guys from even before the season, Rashawn Gary, I know he's a little bit undersized. You don't know if you want to play him on the edge. You don't want to f- know if you want to play him inside. And I realize how many Chiefs fans are freaking out right now about <laughs> that. But, but he's a guy that I think is, is very raw and very uh, has such a high ceiling that he could be somebody that no matter what the Chiefs do on defense, what formation they're in, he can kind of do a little bit of everything and be very effective rushing the passer and a little bit against the run as well. And then my final guy is an inside linebacker out of West Virginia, David Long Jr. He's about 220. He's so he's a little bit lighter guy kind of in a in a Dorian O'Daniel, you know, weak side role, but he is a tackle collector. He's great in coverage. He's been fantastic for West Virginia this year. So, I am fully on board with taking an inside linebacker high every single year. I love him. So, <laughs> let, let's do that.
1: Gross. Um, so my three here
0: comes the offense
1: no no actually i i picked out three guys and i tried to do some like a couple of these are relatively realistic or could potentially be in striking distance uh deontay thompson's one of them jakai polite's the other one and then uh i'm adding another one that you guys haven't talked about that i'm really interested in um i always wind up falling for for a washington guy it feels like every year i like byron murphy The Byron Murphy, the corner from Washington, um, he is tough. He's physical, and um, he plays with his hair on fire. He's a guy I'm really interested in. Um, he's not a huge corner. He's like 185 pounds. He's like 5'10. Um, but he's a guy I like, and I always wind up falling for guys like this. I fell for Buda Baker a few years ago. Same kind of like build and, and energy and toughness. Um, so those are three guys that I'm just interested in kind of right now. I will this is a tease for everyone we've got I promise you we're gonna have the best draft content in Kansas City for you guys this year and I can't wait to see for you guys to see all the stuff we have planned um, it's going to be insane. And uh, Maddie, we're trying to hold Maddie back, but um, it's not working as you can tell. Um, he literally could talk about 30 guys right now without any problems. Um, I'm, I'm trying to pace myself, we're, but I promise you the things that we have planned for draft season are insane. Uh, keep an eye on that here in the future.
0: When you said Washington, I really thought you were about to go right back to another two hundred and twenty pound linebacker and Ben (laughs) Erkervin, who is literally the exact same player that Craig had talked about, only he's been a little bit more productive this year. I really thought that's where you're gonna go and I was gonna laugh.
1: The fact that you even had that recall is just it's embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I feel great about it.
1: (laughs) At Landon Hodge seven. What has changed to make our running game so much more explosive the last few games?
0: I think it's kind of a it's a trick question. I don't know if the running game has been necessarily more explosive or just this entire year the Chiefs have been more dynamic with their running scheme, their blocking scheme. We've seen different times throughout this year, the basic same old outside zone, inside zone counter runs the Chiefs have used, and they're executing them well. We have athletic linemen that can get out in space on all those and make their scoop blocks and their reach blocks, but more than that, we've seen fourth quarters and even sometimes earlier in the game, the Chiefs will mix in a little bit of a power run, they'll get two guys pulling out around the side, then this past week, all of a sudden, they're throwing out sweep after sweep and a pitch play. So they're just being so much more dynamic in what blocking scheme that they're using that it's kind of hard for defenses to key in on one specific type of run. And in addition to that, defenses have to respect the pass at any point in time. Like, you never know when Pat Mahomes is going to uncork a 65-yarder, so you can't have safeties or linebackers playing for the run over and over again. They have to respect the pass, the RPOs, so just a combination of everything.
2: Yeah, the the hesitation of the defense uh, underneath, not being able to just play fully downhill against the Chiefs is absolutely killer. We've talked, you know, we used to talk all the time about what Jamal Charles would do if he didn't have to face an eight man box all the time. You know, this is a situation where Kareem hunts not having to face eight man boxes all the time, and then on top of that, Kareem finally looks like he's healthy or has lost the weight from this offseason yeah in shape yeah he looks refocused so i I think that that's been part of the key to all this as well is that kareem finally is to the point where they want him to be
1: i agree with all that and i think yeah i do think you mentioned the rpo stuff too i think that has helped because they're tagging past concepts to a lot of different run concepts it seems like um okay at joey ice Asks, is the defense we watched this week indicative of a defense that has finally figured it out, or is it a mirage?
2: I need to see a couple good performances here against some pretty poor offenses coming up to really feel like this has been a good thing. They So far, they've looked good against Blake Bortles and primetime Andy Dalton. Those aren't exactly world beaters. Now, I'm not saying that the Broncos or the Browns or the Cardinals coming up are going to be world beaters, but I do think that if they string together some good performances, that all of a sudden what may seem initially as a mirage will start to form and we'll start seeing a more concrete identity from this defense and they can build off of that
0: yeah and i'm kind of right there with craig is i definitely need to see more what's not necessarily going to worry me but what's going to pretty much erase any hope that i have of the defense just figuring it out is if one of these next three games the defense looks absolutely terrible again you get a home game versus the broncos and a home game versus the cardinals sandwiched around uh away game versus the browns Like, if any of those, one of those games, your defense is out there and just looks completely anemic and gives up 30, 35 points, then I don't think it really matters what else happens the rest of the year. You just can't have the confidence that you're going to have a defense that can step up at any given time. But I think it was a good sign to slow down a Cincinnati Bengals offense that has been very good this year. So it's a good place to start. You just have to be able to build on that with some good matchups at the right time.
1: At Love 91 I know Sorensen isn't our best tackler, but will he help the communication problems in the backfield?
2: I, I don't know that Dan is necessarily the guy that's going to help the communication problems in the backfield. He can't hurt right now, but I don't think that communicating where everybody's supposed to be and getting everybody on the same page is going to happen until... Eric Berry gets on the field and unfortunately we we just don't know when that's going to be Dan definitely helps the team from probably an execution standpoint just because he's been in Bob's system for so long that he understands it like the back of his hand but at the same time I don't think he's going to be the type of vocal leader or the guy that's out there lining anybody up
0: yeah, and I think that's what the Chiefs are missing right now is just a leader, quote-unquote, that's all on the field. I know kind of Ron Parker is a little bit of that to the secondary, but you're missing Eric Berry. You're missing Justin Houston. Hitchens and Ragland are trying to step up and be the leaders of the defense because they're actually out on the field. It's just kind of hard when you see them making, I'm sure if the other players seeing them, just being a little slow to react and making some mistakes so often to really get a lead when you're having to think so hard about what you're doing. So Sorensen may help with that because like Craig said, he definitely knows the system and he can probably help fix a few miscommunication issues, but I don't think he's going to be that on-the-field leader that the Chiefs seem like they've been missing so far this year.
1: At Al underscore Haig, is Breland Speaks better than Tano Passigno? And looking back at last year's all-defensive draft, does it look better than we thought?
0: All right. Is Speaks better than... Passing you. The chief staff certainly seems to think so. Based on what we've seen in regular season games as an all around player, I would have to say yes, he's a better all around player. I still think K Pass has put together better pass rushes in the limited time he saw early this year. He seems to win a little bit quicker, seems to have a better idea how to win and how to attack blockers. But he hasn't been in, I don't think, on a single run play this year. And if he has, it's been like one or two because of injury or rest. The Chiefs just simply don't trust to put him out there on run plays, and even his pass rushing snaps are limited, so clearly Speaks is higher up on the pecking order than K-passes at this point in time, in my opinion. And does the draft look better than we thought? I think it's still too early to say. Watts started to show some promise before he got hurt. We finally saw Daniel get out on the field, and Speaks has put together two better games. But even his two better games have just been like solid. He's out there trying and not looking completely terrible in all aspects of the game. Nobody's really... The biggest play that our safeties have made so far is a sack by Watts on a blitz and a screen blown up by Dorian O'Daniel. Like those are kind of what we're looking at now. That's just like single plays right off the top. You can maybe throw Speaks late sack in after he had dropped into coverage on Brady. Like, that's your best place in this rookie class so far, and you're seven games in. You shouldn't be able to count those on one hand, I don't think, at this point in time of the season.
2: Yeah, and we all know that Bob Sutton doesn't really play young players. It, it takes a while for him to get guys that learn the scheme that he can trust to be on the field. And that in itself, I think, speaks certain volumes about Breland Speaks. Yeah, There's been a lot of, you know, Justin Houston is hurt, and Tano is hurt, but they have Frank Zombo in house. We know that Bob Sutton wants to use Frank Zombo. (laughs) This is not a question. Bob Sutton loves using Frank Zombo. Breland Speaks has played 93% and 98% of the snaps over the past two weeks. If Bob did not trust him to execute and do things properly, we would definitely be seeing another guy in there more often. so I think maybe Speaks has picked up the book, understands things maybe from a football level better than Tano does. but yeah i'm I'm with Matt. I think passing no is a better pass rusher to this point.
1: Boy, the fact that the zombo line is now our measurement for positivity is just. Stunning. I it's That's always, where we are. Yeah. I, I think this draft is going to be measured on Breland Speaks and what he's able to do. And I still don't feel optimistic that he's going to be anything of significance or great value. At Kennedy Taylor A. asks, how many total middle fingers from Bengals fans made the air this
0: week? I think they showed about eight Bengals fans. So we're going to go with mm, 16 middle fingers. Maybe, yeah. <laughs>
2: i'm gonna go with 17
1: Uh yeah it, it
0: checks that, out that, that's amazing
2: <laughs> i
1: i it was i i turned up on the tv and i was like oh wow wow that's uh that's something it's kind of funny that it got caught it didn't get ca- caught it was uh it was kind of funny uh
0: why are I, the bengals like fan group dressed as like luchadors like i understand the tigers but why was there so many dressed in like wrestling costumes
1: because they get to cover their face
0: <laughs> I was like, is that like a Cincinnati thing? Like is that the I, new paper
1: stack? I, I don't think so. I think they just we just caught the right fan base on the on the TV. Uh
0: um, <laughs> luchador. Okay.
1: Yeah. At, and uh and rebar check. Best barbecue place in Kansas City, not named Joe's, Gates, Bryant's, Q thirty nine, or Jack Stack. Oh, I got a few places. Uh the one I'll give you, I'll I'll say Burnt End Barbecue in Overland Park. They have phenomenal burn-ins. They better if they're going to use that name, and their sides are ridiculous.
2: Okay, so uh, not living in Kansas City, they have exhausted the majority of my barbecue places there, but I have heard great things about Slap's Barbecue. Ooh. The best ribs in Kansas City. That's what I've heard. i Same
0: thing. Um, That was my go-to places have now been named. However, they did leave one out. The char bar in Westport Ooh. area, all about the char bar. The food's pretty good, but you get there at the right time. They have the, what was it? Two, $3 wells of whiskey. So it really doesn't matter how good the food is if you get there at the right time. So yeah.
1: <laughs> at Volmer Josh, it's all about the small things. We hear pressers where they say get a little bit better every day. Who and what did you guys see this week that is encouraging? Great question.
0: I think that Spencer Ware getting so much run in the two-minute drill and late in the game is actually going to be very helpful. Right now, and I saw this on Twitter, and I apologize to whoever originally said it, but they said that they kind of get the air sucked out of them when they see Spencer Ware out there on the field. Not that he's bad. It's just he's so much less dynamic than it seems like everybody else. And I kind of see where he's coming from a little bit. So I think it was nice to get Spencer Ware some more touches get him the ball in space, let him have a couple big gains. And Reed said after the game that he felt like Ware's legs looked a little bit heavy down the stretch. Excuse me. So he liked getting him to get that run and stuff in there. So I think it was good to get Ware out there, get him back in the flow of getting more than just a check down or being in there to block and passing situations.
2: Yeah, and for me, uh, you know, obviously Bob letting him hang out a little bit this week again was <laughs> was a good thing. I, he needs to do more of that. I think we're starting to see him embrace a little more uh, a risk this year, and I think that's hard for him to do as a guy who's a very risk-averse defensive coordinator. But with this offense, I think we are starting to see a few more things out of him that are, in his book at least, risky. And then Reggie Ragland has put together a couple decent performances, still not great, still a missed tackle or two here, but he's feeling better, he's in the gaps better, he's more aggressive, and it's showing up in the run game a little bit more.
1: Right, that's a good call, though. I did think Reggie looked a little bit better. Um, I, I I, think uh, I think Dorian O'Daniel's got to be... Mentioned in this conversation. I know it's an easy get out but like honestly like the fact that he got on the field the fact that he was you know Given some trust to go out and do that and then execute at a high level. I mean That's seeing growth and improvement enough that they trust him means a lot and it could really really help this defense Moving forward having someone like that to to lean on a little bit for some situations
0: What do you Uh, guys think real quick about? them clearly trying to get O'Daniel in there before the Terrence Smith injury, like it was clearly a thing. How do you think that went down in the week of practice? Do you think Sutton was just like, okay, we got to get this guy on the field. He's shown me enough now that he can get out there in specific situations. Or do you think somebody came up to him and said, hey, we just drafted this guy right now we kind of might want to give him a chance. Like, Do you guys think it was all of Sutton's decision, or do you think a positional coach or a front office guy, maybe even Andy Reid said something? It's just kind of weird that he's not getting any run, and then all of a sudden, like the second, third down of the game, he's out there by himself as a linebacker.
2: I, I think it's. Uh, I think he's probably leaning on his positional coaches there, if I had to guess at something. I think maybe his positional coaches were, were trying to give Anthony Hitchens – enough run to really kind of prove that he could or couldn't make make the switch. And so I think that, that Dorian finally, or they got to the point finally where they couldn't keep Dorian off the field in some of those situations.
1: So gotcha. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit speculative, but the last time we saw an Andy Reid and Bob Sutton exchange, Andy did not look particularly happy with Bob. So I don't know. Maybe they mixed some things up here this week in response to some frustrations from uh, Foxborough. You never know. That's just speculation. Who knows? Uh, at, Chief, at Chief Priest 25, is Lucas a better fit to cover tight ends uh, more than uh, Eric Murray and Ron Parker?
2: Uh yeah, Eric Murray's not a, a terrible man safety. Uh, Ron Parker just struggles with with bigger body, you know, de- receivers. There he he's okay enough covering a corner out of the slot or at least used to be. I don't I, we don't really see it that very much this year. Uh, Lucas is clearly the better of those three, but like like Maddie said earlier. Lucas needs to be the deep safety. He is the best guy that they can put back there. So I'd prefer not to have that. Even though this week when Bob went split safeties and Lucas on the field, Lucas was up covering the slot and Eric Murray and Ron Parker were back.
0: Yeah. And that's it. I definitely like Lucas best in the back end compared to everybody else. And I think it's his best spot so far, but I also just definitely like him better as the single high, better than Murray or Parker or what we saw out of Watts beforehand so I want him back there as far as covering tight end goes he and Murray seem pretty similar to me I actually do think Murray plays they both play very physical but I think Murray plays better press coverage on a tight end even though he's giving up a ton of size than Lucas does but it's not a huge difference I would just rather see Lucas get to stay in the back and Eric Murray up on tight ends rather than vice versa just because I think Lucas is more dynamic on the back end than Murray ever will be
1: so i'm gonna jump to this question real quick and we got one more after that but at Timendus Timendus 79 asks when sorenson res- returns assuming no berry for now how would you like to see the safeties used so we've kind of started to answer that question uh craig jump in and just kind of finish that one
2: oh man it it that's that's really tough for me uh eric murray seems destined to be the backup behind Jordan Lucas. Now, at the end of the game, when the backups were in the game, Eric Murray was still playing, and Jordan Lucas got the break. So that should tell you right there how Bob Sutton or Emmett Thomas, uh, you know, Al Harris, views those guys. So I think that if I had to say Dan Sorensen maybe comes in and bumps... Jordan Lucas to the third safety, but I do think, I don't like it, I don't like it, trust me, I don't like it, because I I think that Dan Sorensen should bump Ron Parker to the third safety if I had to pick one of those, but I do think that he bumps Lucas to the third safety, but I also think that they start leaning a little more on the dime, maybe that's why we saw Dorian O'Daniel in it as much as we did this week, they went 21% of the game in the dime this week.
0: So I'm gonna kind of say it's my as my hope is what they're gonna do and that's that when Sorensen comes back while he's working his way in, I actually don't even want him to be a starter. like I think his injury is gonna take a while to get back into game shape even if he's cleared to start practicing this week and prep plays as soon as he can, you know not necessarily this weekend, but I think the game after that. I just don't think that it's gonna be a while before he's ready to play a significant load of snaps. So even once he does, I think I'm looking more towards Sorensen being your third safety. He's coming in for less snaps. You're using him closer to the box, not as much back deep, which goes against what I saw in film last year. But they clearly like Sorensen down in the box last year a little bit more. Don't think he's the best down there as he is back deep, but at the same time, I also think Lucas has shown to be better single high safety than Sorensen is either. So I'm sticking with Lucas as my starter. He's playing deep most of the time. Sorensen comes back. He gets to be my third safety. I'm putting Murray out there over on Parker. Between Murray, Sorensen, I think that's enough people that know the system that I don't need Ron Parker's wisdom or knowledge of the system anymore to make sure everything's right. (laughs) It's awesome that he's come up with two good picks this year from being in the general right spot and made good reads and plays on both of them, but there's just so much not good in between those two (laughs) plays. His knowledge of the system just no longer is going to make it up for me if everybody else is starting to finally catch on.
2: Right. Check my post tomorrow. Uh, I actually highlight Ron Ron took some really, really terrible angles at plays this week. Just what he struggles to tackle. More. Yeah.
1: Shocked. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Just get Ron Parker off the field.
0: Um, (laughs) At Chase. Hey, do you want to tell everybody what you compared uh, Ron Parker to? The Lucas locomotive. Do you want to tell us what Ron? Okay. No,
1: we're good. Ask someone If someone wants to know, just ask us on Twitter. If you listen to this <laughs> late into the pod, you deserve to know that answer. Uh, at Chase Peoples, one, did this is the last question. Did the Chiefs beat a good Bengals team, or was Cincy an imposter all along?
0: I think the Bengals, if they're healthy, are a borderline playoff team, so I don't think they're near as bad as the game looked. However, they had a fair amount of injuries, And the Bengals simply do not play at nighttime. I thought Tigers were nocturnal. I was incorrect. (laughs) These ones most certainly are asleep at night. So take the game with a little bit of a grain of salt.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. They didn't look like the same team from an execution standpoint, at least on the offensive side of the ball, as they have recently. That defense has a ton of guys on it that should be good, but as a unit they just haven't put it together yet. I, I do think that they were they're closer to what we've seen prior to this game but I, I think this week was a little bit of an aberration from them
1: yeah I think they're still a decent football team I still they I think they could wind up making the playoffs and uh just kind of hope that they get one of those afternoon games uh for Andy Dalton's sake uh that's gonna do it for this week guys thanks for listening I know we went a little bit long but we try to get as many questions as we can interview guys and thank you for all of them we'll catch you
0: next week Choo-choo. Hello, I'm Spencer
1: Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another,
2: seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving
1: a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know.